Welcome everyone to Dead Talk Live, and tonight we have special guest Josh Crudis with us. Josh, thank you for being here with us. How you doing, man? I'm great. Better now. How are you? I'm doing great, <laughs> and we're going to talk about Raccoon City, but I want to talk about a movie you that came out last year, okay? Anything for Jackson, okay? Yes. In my opinion, that was released last year, and it's one of the most overlooked films of 2020 i think it is such an amazing film and you play a true psycho i mean you are just <laughs> flat out scary in the role of uh ian i believe is your character's yes, name indeed. Yes, indeed. so uh and you got to work with uh julian reikings who was also a previous guest of ours brilliant yes. actor wonderful man so let's just talk a little bit about anything for Jackson. Uh, how did you come? First off, how did that script come your way? Oh, I'm so glad we're starting with this. I love uh, I love anything for Jackson so much. I love the people who made it. Uh, Justin and Keith, uh, these guys who you know, and I'm sure you've you've heard about their story, but they started you know their careers both supremely talented people and they started their careers um doing what a lot of us have to do in canada which is you know doing what we can to to make a living in our chosen field and so they did these these uh these really great like you know holiday and kind of kids movies and all the while in the meantime behind the scenes they're cooking up this you know this world uh this horror world which they love so much and so they uh yeah, I mean, they tell the story better than I do, but they, they needed a horror movie and they didn't have one. They figured this out, I think, in a day. They figured out the wow. general plot of anything for Jackson. And then, yeah, so they they very luckily, um, my amazing agent, Megan, uh, sent uh, me their way and they got me to tape for two roles, neither of which, I love to tell the story because neither of which were in. They were two smaller roles. Uh, and I taped for both of them. My buddy, Chris, uh, Chris George, who's an amazing actor. He, he has to do all my tapes with me. And we did these two very different tapes and then sent them in and then got word back that uh, that Justin Keith had wanted uh, me to play the role of Ian. And uh, yeah, it was like doing that that job. That is more than a job. It was one of those films where I think everyone, everyone kind of knew, like Julian and Sheila, who are just unbelievable actors Amazing. royalty in the canadian world and julian in the horror world too as you know mm -hmm. and he's just he's an icon right and so i worked with them on polar a netflix movie we did a few years ago where we just had a day together where i, I unfortunately had to murder him in polar and he uh yeah so we but we got to do this thing together and they're so lovely so lovely. everybody on that movie you know you were making a horrific you know satanic reverse uh, exorcism everybody, yeah, a reverse exorcism, exactly. And everybody on the movie is just like a dream to work with from any everybody. So yeah, I uh, I always I will, I will talk about anything with Jackson all day because I love the people behind it so much, and I do love how I appreciate you for saying that it was you know a favorite of yours and, and overlooked. I think it's one of those movies that might kind of keep going like a sleeper style. Mm -hmm. Like it's one of those movies that I think people are rediscovering it and and discovering it for the first time and. And uh, yeah, I mean, I think way too early to, to throw around a word like classic, but I, I always tell Justin and Keith because I'm so stoked for them, the way this movie has kind of catapulted yeah. them. And uh, yeah, I'm so, so, so 
honored to be a part of it. And who knows, it might be one of those movies we're looking back at 20 years on. And for those of you that have not heard of it or have not seen it, it is available for streaming on AMC+. Plus. It's a must-watch recommendation. Now, your character in that is uh, multifaceted. You yeah. are part of the Church of Satan. Okay. Yeah. Uh, something, great yeah, <laughs> something that you take your character takes very seriously, yes. uh, in all its practices and whatnot. But at the same time, you're living in your mom's basement. Uh-huh. Okay, great place. <laughs> so, how? I mean, and you know, just your interaction. There's a little bit of a psychopath, maybe more than yep. just a little bit. Walking into a room where you see a kidnapped pregnant woman tied to a bed just doesn't phase you. Did you do anything special to get into the mindset of Ian? This is a great question. Yeah, uh, he is someone who I didn't really want to go too far into because of, uh, you know, just the kind of the dark places where he he goes. But I think um, there's one thing I did in the script that uh, I think helped out, and I think I would do it again in, in a similar a role or similar situation where I, I kind of looked at him as a carbonated uh, beverage waiting to uh, explode. And uh, I don't want to give anything away, but it, uh, you know, there, there is an arc that he goes on through the film. And so I think uh, I remember writing in my script, okay, in this scene, the, 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 you know, we've shaken up the bottle. The bottle has been, been shaken for like 20 years. <laughs> and uh, we've shaken that bottle right up. And every kind of scene, someone or something or somehow that, um, that bottle cap gets twisted off like slightly. So it's like, okay, now it's 10% off for the first scene. And then midway through the movie, once he starts to get a little bit excited, now we're getting the territory of 40%, you know. Gotcha, and so, yeah, it, uh, that I think helped me keep sense of because, you know, we shoot movies out of order and all that fun stuff. And other actors are way better at uh, doing that stuff with ease than I am. So I was like, I need a little a little roadmap to, <laughs> to follow to help me not mess this up. And uh, and yeah, so I think that was super helpful. And I certainly but Justin and, and Justin is one of those directors who just he's had so much experience uh that he's so, he's so confident on set, even though this is first kind of like his passion project. He's so so confident on set, and which gave us confidence. All of us actors is so natural, nurturing, and warm. And Keith having him there all the time too, amazing. He's like yeah. your cheerleader corner. He's it's fantastic. And all of you guys in that movie, yourself, Julian, Sheila, you all did such an amazing job at playing your roles. But I mean, Julian and Sheila. I mean, talk about two pros. Oh my God. Uh, just the way the movie starts off, you know, a uh, retired couple, you know, the, he's <laughs> complaining about the hem on his pants being a little bit uneven. <laughs> and then the next yeah. thing you know, they bring in this kidnapped pregnant girl and you're like, what oh, the man. hell is going on? Uh, <laughs> of course, it's it's their acting and it's wonderful. Uh, but when you read this script and you read how this thing starts... Uh, did you fall in love with it right away? Oh my God! Immediately, yeah, immediately. Like it's one of those scripts where where I couldn't believe I got to play this kind of like you know this this character with this kind of arc and this kind of juice, you know. And uh, yeah, Keith just has a knack for writing 
uh, brilliant stuff. Like his story structure work is fantastic, but also his character work is fantastic. And then, you know, he sprinkles in amazing lines here and there too, or like I'm, you've seen the movie, like, you yeah. know, there's these lines you're like, oh man, like that's a line from a movie. Oh wait, it's not, it's from this movie, yeah. right? It's like, it, it's a cool, it's a cool kind of thing. But yeah, immediately. And Julian and Sheila, Sheila, Sheila and uh, Constantina, um, Everybody in this movie were just like perfectly, perfectly cast. But working with Julian and Sheila was just like, you know, yeah, they are such professionals, but they're also so uh, so at ease in these, as you say, insane situations where they're there. And in my opinion, only they could have played these roles mm -hmm. where you're like, oh, I love these people. They're perfect looking in the part. Like they look the part perfectly, but they're also like their performances somehow you know, and it's a very special thing for an actor to be able to do that is for them to be do all these horrific things and you still are rooting for them in the movie. You're you're like sympathizing with what they're going through, even though they're doing this insane stuff. Whereas Ian, you know, no one really sympathizes with him, but I try to add a bit of humor too, so like you catch yourself like chuckling of course at I some can. of the stuff he's saying. Yeah, yeah. I love that line. <laughs> of course I can. <laughs> Cutting Julian off. Yeah, that was uh that was uh, those are the days where you're like, okay, I think we're just gonna like, you know, it's a long shot, it's a one shot. There's this particular scene where, uh, yeah, it's one long shot, and I and I just was a bit. Part of me was like nervous about forgetting the lines, but I think I also was just like, we ended the day shooting that scene, so I had been hanging out for like eight hours, and so I just was ready to <laughs> ready to do it. So it's like I think Ian as well, you know, he's in that zone. So yeah, no, Julian and Sheila, though they're Sheila, they're just so professional and yet so good at being uh, villains of the story and also heroes at the same time. Now, just one last question on Jackson before we move yeah. on. Do you, in your opinion, this is your personal opinion, but do you think uh, Sheila and Julian's characters in the end gained a little bit of redemption, not in anything they did, but in their, oh shit, we screwed up. In their downfall, yeah. Um, yeah, I think they, I think they, I think they did. If, if you're talking about redemption as in they, they realized they, they, they got, screwed up. Yeah. Yeah. They got, you know, what was coming to them in a way. I think they did. Yeah. I think there's this kind of like, uh, uh, I think the movie, it couldn't have been any way. I don't think they could have survived no. for the movie to be successful. Right. I think you had to kill them or you had, you know, they had to <laughs> spoil them alert <laughs> watching the movie, but you had to, uh, you had to, um, you had to have that yeah. happen the end right like and, and i think they did smartly do it where you still even though this happens to them you still sympathize with their plight which is a marvelous thing to have two actors to be able to to do all that and then still at the end getting their justice and yet you're still like ah oh, it's too bad you know yeah you kind so of feel bad for them in a way exactly exactly yeah. all right so let's talk about now the new movie of yours just came out november 21st uh it's in theaters resident evil uh, a very famous franchise. This one's called mm -hmm. Welcome to Raccoon City. Mm -hmm. The the critic reactions, which I don't really pay attention to, have been mixed. Fan reactions yeah. have been really, really good. Yes. Uh, what was it like, first off, to come into this franchise? Oh, man, it was such a thrill. Like, anytime you get to go into a world that people love, to me, you got to treat that with the most respect and the most like excitement. And that's exactly what I, what I felt. I was, 
you know, cause I'm, I'm a big fan of, of a lot of things too. And I, I was, I honestly was a fan of Resident Evil too, before I did it. I would always say I was way too scared to play it when I was young, like everyone else, everyone else, Avin Jockey who plays, um, Jockey who plays, uh, Leon, he like grew up playing the games. So for him, he was like, yeah, let's do this. I was too scared. I couldn't do it. But, uh, but yeah, whenever you're going into a franchise where people love it and have strong feelings about it, cause I have strong feelings like. It's the same as if I went into like, you know, Star Trek or, or uh, you know, Harry Potter, like something like that, that I grew up on. Um, yeah, you'd want to be, you'd want to really hope that the people involved are, are treating it with care. And so I certainly tried to, and, and which is uh, amazing to see that everybody, everybody on that set from the production team to the actors, to the crew on the ground, everyone was treating this with just the same amount of care. And I think it, it shows when you hear the fans reactions, like, oh, yeah. right? Like, there's stuff in this movie that I've been waiting my whole life to see in the in the big screen, so that's been really cool. And this is a long-running franchise. I mean, we're going back mm -hmm. to, I believe, the early 2000s when Mila Jovovich yes. did the first movie. Great movie, and it's just been going and going and going. Uh, Sean Roberts, who was a part of the franchise, has also mm -hmm. been our guest. Uh, cool. in, the, in Raccoon City, you play the character of Ben, uh, for viewers that are unfamiliar with Resident Evil, how would you describe your character in Raccoon City? I'd say he's a um, uh, an investigative journalist. Emphasis on the investigative. Uh, he has some ideas, uh, some concerning ideas about what he thinks is going on in Raccoon City, and he's kind of been stonewalled at every turn. And he's trying to get through to somebody and he eventually gets through to the heroine of the movie the heroine uh who's played by kaya um uh claire redfield and so he tries to get to her and reach to her basically to the importance of the situation that he believes is happening to all the people who live in this bored small town and uh yeah he's he's described as a bit conspiratorial <laughs> and he's also described as a bit crazy in the movie too which i think is uh is accurate in somehow in how i uh in how he's portrayed but at the end of the day he does care a lot just like everybody making the film cared uh he cares about the people in raccoon city and about the town itself and about the fact that you know, I think he really hates the fact that this giant, you know, corporation is getting, you know, covering this up and the government's helping and he's just, he's just mad about it, right? And yeah. so he's really bitter. And uh, that was fun to play, for sure. Now, when you uh, auditioned, was the Ben the role that you were auditioning for? Did you, okay, so you knew uh, you got yeah. your audition for one part and you got it. How vigorous was the auditioning process? That's a great question. It depends for these movies, because uh, these giant movies sometimes you're like, okay, like is it a eight, you know, eight callback situation? But this one was mercifully for me uh, quite quite simple. I uh, very very luckily, I'd worked with uh, a couple of producers before, Jeremy Wilton, Hartley Gornstein, who uh, worked on Polar with me again, and so they, I knew they'd familiar were familiar, and the casting director I love so much, um, uh, Sarah, who also is familiar with my work, and so. I think that may be helpful. Yeah, I sent in a tape. I was in my uh, I was at home in Nova Scotia, and my parents. Uh, I think I was staying in my parents' basement, literally like Ian for that week, because I was doing a little, doing a little vacation, and I uh, 
Yeah, did it in, in the basement and, and with my friend, I think again, Chris helped me out with this. And then that was it. They they sent me the, the size and they sent me the breakdown of this like kind of supporting character. At the time that they were looking for like a Brian Denny type. Uh-huh. I was like, I don't think I'm, <laughs> I don't think I'm Brian Denny, but I'll uh, bring a different flavor to it. And uh, and then, yeah, that was it. I was super lucky to, to, to just book it uh, from that. And, and and yeah, we, we were able to translate some of the stuff from the audition right into the, the film, so it was a lot of fun. Now, would you say it was just more of the character and what you can do with the character of Ben, or would you have been happy with any part to get into the Resident Evil franchise? Oh my god, I would have played a, a, a hot dog bun lying on the floor in Resident Evil. I haven't done anything, a tree, I don't care. Yeah, I, uh, I uh, was obviously super stoked to play Ben because once you know kind of dive into the the stories and the games and the, the remake that they they had and so it's really fun to to kind of be in that uh zone and play with a character as fun as him because he is a you know he's a, a sympathetic character uh you can make him sympathetic right his his motives for the most part are really pure and really you know really sympathetic and so playing with that and as you know i play a lot of uh, uh horrible people in 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 most stuff that i do so it's nice to be nice to play someone with half a heart at least yeah. that was really nice now ben is a part of the games did you feel yeah. any added pressure as you would be the first person uh bringing reprising this role from the games oh, yeah. onto the big screen yeah, I think I would have had to be crazy to not feel a little, a little bit of pressure, or extremely arrogant. I haven't got there yet. I'm, I'm super. Yeah, there was a definite kind of uh, wanting to, you know, be respectful, and, and and it's the same analogy. If I grew up with playing, you know, a game and and seeing seeing someone in a game that I, you know, really loved, and then the person playing that part just, you know, didn't seem to to take it seriously mm-hmm. or whatever, or or you know, do the proper research and all that stuff, then yeah, I'd, I'd be sad about it. So certainly it made me, you know, made me make sure I was uh, crossing all my T's and dotting the I's, that's for sure, about about his research and, and stuff. But uh, it's a lot of, uh, definitely pressure, but also a lot of excitement. Because as someone who loves video games, I was very, very excited to be <laughs> in a video game world. It was like a dream come true for a little 10-year-old John. That's for sure. I mean, your situation... Uh... It's kind of unique in a way. I mean, a lot of actors, when they get when they book roles, they have either it's from a book or it's a reboot or it's a brand new character in a screenplay. You are bringing to life uh, a character from a video game. Uh, so, I mean, you said you you knew of the character, you knew of the game. Did you do any other kind of diving or research? uh to try to get a feel on how he was presented in the game and maybe carry that with your own unique aspects to the to the movie yeah that was super important just like uh playing the game obviously playing the 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 remake and the original and then kind of also going into uh into youtube and seeing other people's kind of perspectives on what was happening in in the major scene in in the game that he was part of and then um yeah, just also researching as much as I possibly could about Raccoon City, like the world in which Raccoon City operates and, and how that city was uh, in different interpretations of it. So I kind of try to cover my bases and uh, and the world of Resident Evil itself, because I, I again, I didn't play it as much as a kid. So I really wanted to make sure that I uh, 
yeah, dive fully into that world. And it's so, it's so amazing. Like video games often are where they're so well thought out because you have to be, you have to like have every possible, you know, um, every possible uh, path be a path that a player could take, right? So the fact that that exists means that there's so many, so many possibilities and so much um, 360 kind of a world building going on. And so I was, yeah, super, super uh, excited to dive into uh, to the world of Resident Evil and just get immersed. And it's terrifying. Like, it's <laughs> at the end of the day, it's just so scary. It and is. I'm, I'm not a, I'm just ironic. I do all these horror movies and I still get scared by everything, every <laughs> horror movie. I'm so desensitized. And so like, that was the big takeaway. You're like, okay, yeah, we're going to make a scary movie. And they, we did like, or not, we can't really take credit at all for everyone oh, else's you work. Can, yeah, you can. They really did. Now, how does it make you feel that this film is being hailed as the one in the franchise that is most faithful to the game and fans love that well that that's fantastic news there's music to our ears i think for sure well, that's what we were trying to do and that's what johannes was definitely trying to do that was what that was what the the goal was of the movie was to make a game finally that was you know uh that people could kind of players of the game could watch and be like oh like there's a there's something i noticed and like just basically have a smile on your face the whole time. And so the fact that people are saying that is, is just fantastic. And I, uh, I'm, I'm honored and excited that they feel that way. Now, uh, this, like I said, this film is being praised as being very faithful to the game itself. Um, was there always a sense of confidence with you, your castmates, the crew, when you guys got done and you wrapped filming this movie that you know what we did it right this is going to be good it's going to be received well or was there some trepidation some anxiety fear on how how it would be received i think whenever you're in a, a big franchise like this there's always going to be a bit of nerves about you know what people are going to think and if we're we did what we wanted to do but i can only speak for myself but i know that johannes and Certainly, the other actors I worked with, uh, Avin and Kaya, especially in Don and Donal and and uh, Marina, like we were all, we all knew kind of the the you know the, the stakes that we were playing in. That's for sure. But I think certainly for myself, I it was uh, I wish I was there for the rap because it was COVID times. I'm shooting another movie in another town at the same time, so it was a bit all over the place in terms of location. But I definitely felt when I left uh, my work on Resident Evil, I was like, I think this is going to be really cool i think people who love these games are going to love this movie just because walking into the sets uh they've created these sets so uh so much like the sets in the the games and so much so that i think Johannes has been saying this in another interview but he got the blueprints from capcom to kind of recreate uh, wow. these places as best as they possibly could right so when you do that there's a beautiful shot in the movie of the spencer mansion and they do they linger on that shot because they know that it's so cool seeing like this building for the first time in real life yeah. here's like an actual staircase actual chandeliers and then actual actors playing these characters on this set and so i think um that was sort of sort of a, a moment where i was like oh i hope they're really i hope Johannes is really proud of that because that's exactly what he set out to do and i think people like you can hear in the theater people i, I got to see the last week and people were like you know you could you can see the smiles break out on people's faces right when you've got a moment like that so i hope uh, i hope they're super proud of it because i surround that's for sure 
And do you think it was important for fans, this film, as opposed to some of the more the prior recent ones, leans more into the horror as opposed mm. to the uh, all action uh, side of things? Do you think that was a, an, um, if you were to guess, do you, do you think that's a, a big part of the film's success so far? I think so, yeah, because again, just going uh, back to the games and my own fear, like it's just, uh, it's, they're terrifying, right? So going and making a movie that's not terrifying, I think would have been a disservice, I think, to the games. And so I think they really, yeah, they really made sure that, uh, you know, I've seen the movie twice now. Sony sent me a screener and I was watching it in my own house. And I've read the script, I don't know how many times, and I'm there behind like a pillow like not able to look at the screen because it's so scary. So you've got these, you know, uh, moments in the movies that kind of mirror moments in the games. And also just the general vibe, the general aesthetic is pure uh, zombie terror. And I think that's uh, kind of what happens a lot in the games. Again, I, uh, I think it's even worse playing. I don't know, you probably play video games too, but when you're in control of like, your view and and you just and like a, a zombie comes out of your left shoulder or something like that it's just it's so scary and so they really were able to there's a couple sequences in this movie where they're really able to capture that sense of chaos and terror rolled up into one and given to you on a nice plate and it's uh real scary that's for sure now the film's director uh johannes am i pronouncing that correct yes i think yeah has said it was very important that they wanted to set a very dark tone uh, mm -hmm. for this film. Now, as you being in front of that camera, give us some examples of what the director did to achieve the overall dark feeling of this movie. Yeah, I think the main thing was they, they, they took the light switch and just <laughs> turned it down. <laughs> it's really dark. Every uh, every set you walk in, you're like, where's my, where's my hand? Um, so yeah, that was the biggest thing. But certainly, like, there's just an aesthetic, I think. Like, one of my favorite things on one of the sets I was on, where they had a light that was like, you know, the light that's like about to go out, like mm -hmm. a, a one that's flickering? Flickering. And uh, it's real hard, like, I, you know, on a movie set, you can't just put a, a, a light that's about to bust in the thing. You've got to actually have a guy or, or, or any someone, or possibly there might be actual um, lights that do that now. I'm in the snow area of expertise, but just little things like that, right? Like making things a little bit off and turning, making things a little bit spooky any way they could. And then all of that added up. Plus the uh, soundtrack by Mark Corbin, who's an amazing Canadian composer and just, made it so scary and uh so th that combined with the soundtrack the atmosphere uh yeah it's it's real dark and i think too the the fact that they weren't shying away from some of the you know it's an r-rated movie too right so there's there's you know some some blood and some some bad words and all that kind of stuff and so i think combining all that stuff together makes it uh yeah makes it more of a a mature affair. Absolutely. Now, you have done your fair share of horror and have worked with many different directors. Uh, watching these directors work on these great horror movies, uh, everybody has their own unique style. Do you pick up on, like, one director is really... Uh, I've heard directors say they're focused on colors, others are on sound... And there is no right or wrong way to do it. Uh, it's yeah. just everybody's different vision. And it, if it, when they do it, it ends up working. Uh, do you gain an appreciation 
for watching all these different directors work and all the different elements that they bring into making a horror movie in specific? That's an amazing question. Yeah, I I try to, I guess, short answer. I, yeah, Johannes is, is, was another one of those directors who just, he made it fun. Like, you know, he, he was obviously carrying uh, some weight on his shoulders about doing this movie with this big franchise, but he, you know, he was at ease and he was clearly so, but he also clearly cared so much about the, a story and about the characters and about the world he was creating and at the same time was was funny and entertaining and just made us all want to be there and, and want to give our best work too so I, I i love him for that um but yeah going it is it's fascinating to to see different styles and how as you say they usually all work like it's one of those things where even if a director has a certain style we're like okay i'm a very I'm a very cinematography focused director which i've and i've worked with uh, some of those directors as well um and they they'll make a great movie and then you have an actor actor's director who's more kind of like on on the you know playing around like as if we're on a stage in a theater and then that movie works too so it's it's amazing for me to see how all of these you know teams come together to create this division from the director or the producers whatever and how it it's sometimes somehow usually all comes together even with the different focuses happening and so i don't know if there's any way that i prefer or if i decided to direct one day i don't know what i would do i think i would probably just run away and cry in a corner for 10 hours it seems like so much pressure to me but uh they they somehow do it so it gives me hope now uh raccoon city does it really nice on in certain scenes where it doesn't serve up the story on a silver platter it really lets the audience sort of try to put their own interpretation into the film, sort of making it viewer interactive. Do you like that way of storytelling? I do. I, I, it's complicated for me. I also, one of my other jobs is I write music for films. Yeah. So I have a bit of a, it's a, it's a perspective that I wouldn't, I think have otherwise had if I was just acting. And so I find it difficult, personally, really hard as a composer to not serve the story on a silver platter. I'm, I'm learning how to not do that and how to kind of let the movie, you know, do what it needs to do and the music can kind of not give, not, you know, again, not manipulate and all that kind of stuff. So I'm learning about how to do that. Um, but I can't say, like, because I'm also one of those people who loves to be emotionally manipulated in a, in a film. I love it. You know, mm -hmm. when you're watching a movie and they're, like, trying to make you cry, I'm like, sign me up. Here are the tears. They're, they're coming, uh, you know, fast and furious. So it's one of those things where I don't mind being emotionally manipulated, which might be, you know, something I should look at in my own, uh, you know, go to therapy or something like that. But for now, I think it's, uh, uh, as, as someone on the other side of that, when you're making a film, I think it is important to let the audience kind of figure things out on their own. I think it really is important. And, and I'm unfortunately extremely dumb, which is, I think, why I like people to like tell me exactly what's going on. But I do, I do love, you know, those movies where you get to talk for like 20 minutes afterwards because you're so, you know, you're just, everyone has a different opinion. Exactly. On so I, I love those kind of movies too. So I don't know. I'm, uh, I'm kind of, uh, not giving you a good answer because I'm in both worlds. No, no, it makes perfect sense. And yeah. uh, you are a composer. I'm glad you brought that up. I haven't had the privilege to talk to that many composers. So let, let's talk a little bit about composing a score for a film. Now, as a composer, how does it usually work? 
do you get to see the product with no music and then you're inspired to create or are you asked uh just given verbal description and then asked to create how does it work and which process works better for you Mm, great question yeah um it depends on the film depends on the team i've i've worked in certain films where they will give me kind of the blank slate or they're like here's the movie uh with without any music uh sometimes they'll they will give a couple of verbal cues like this is kind of what i'd like to have here this is kind of what i'd like to have there um and then sometimes i'm given a movie with which has been completely temp scored meaning they'll put uh, music cues from usually extremely famous, incredible movies to the soundtrack. And they're like, just do this. And you're like, okay, well, this, this is uh, Hans Zimmer's The Dark Knight Rises, yeah. for which, you know, he's... So it's like, it's tough to like, or, you know, they'll put in something from John Williams where he won like five Oscars for it. And you're like, okay, so this is, uh, you know, no pressure here. So that's that's uh, always fun where you're uh, trying, to, <laughs> trying to basically... Uh, somehow come close to these, you know, legendary giants of, of, of composing. But I do find it helpful too, because then at least you get a ballpark of, okay, what's the vibe? What do they want to see here? So I'm not wasting my time. I'm wasting their time. I can, if they want a, a cue that sounds in the vein of, you know, the Dark Knight, mm -hmm. then I'm like, okay, I know what that is. I know what world that is. I know how to operate in that world. And then you kind of... And Hans you know, Zimmer, I mean, oh my God, I mean... Oh, he's so iconic and he's so influential too. If you ask any composer right now, like how many times they've had to get a temp score with something of, of his, whether it's Gladiator or Dark Knight's a big one. Like it's happened so many times. Interstellar, like, I mean, it goes on and on. Yes. Yeah. Or Time from Inception. There's, mm -hmm. a, there's a cue called Time at the very end of Inception. And that is a, it's shocking how good that cue is at what it does. And it's shocking also how good it, is where directors will drop it into their edits and they'll edit the movie to this yeah. cue of the sound of music because it's such a perfectly um it's so perfect in how it resolves and how it you know builds and so uh getting to kind of play in that world is fun and, and it's always like okay i've got to do my own thing obviously but it's nice to know that this is where they want the emotional arc of the scene to go or this is what the action hits should be and so i do find it helpful for sure so i think yeah if i had to pick I, uh, even though temp scores sometimes drive me nuts, I'd, uh, I, I never mind having, that's for sure. I never mind having. Now, Raccoon City, the score was done, but let's see, Mark Croven. Um, yeah. was there any part of you hoping to help out with the score of Raccoon City or, you that's know? That's a good question. I, uh, I don't even know, like there was, I've, I have done, uh, I, actually for Polar, I ended up talking to, um, uh, uh, Jonas Ackerlund who directed that movie and because they were looking for a Canadian composer at the time and I was like hey man like I just finished I was wrapping a, another film for Lionsgate at the time a composing job and I was like you know can I send you a demo what I would do and he loved it which is so 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 kind but he was also like <laughs> we've got someone which is great and they found Dead Mouse and he absolutely killed it it was unreal like Dead Mouse scoring a movie I would, I would fire myself to make that happen but uh, Resident Evil I didn't I didn't, didn't really cross my mind. I assumed they had someone for it. And then, yeah, Mark Mark Corvin, who is a Canadian composer and is just a, a honestly, a master of horror. Like he's done, he did The Witch, he did The Lighthouse, uh, and he's just so good at creating tension and atmosphere. And in this movie, he gets to do some some melodic stuff too. 
which as a composer, to me, it's always your dream to do melodies and stuff. So he, uh, yeah, he absolutely killed it. I'm so, so happy. Now, uh, we should tell our audience that when the credits start rolling in Welcome to Raccoon City, don't get up. There is a post-credit scene. Um, that is a trend that really became popular with the Marvel movies, you know, Iron Man and whatnot. Uh, do you like that aspect as a fan of films? Like, oh, I got to sit through these credits that some run 12 minutes just to watch this post credit scene. What are your thoughts on that? Uh, I'm, I'm someone, my, my, uh, one of my best friends, uh, Andrew Call, he's a filmmaker as well. And he, uh, instilled from a very young age, we, we would go see movies together, all of us as friends. And, and he would always sit through the, the credits and all of us would be like, what are we doing? And then once I started getting into the industry, I was like, oh yeah, like I, like it's a, I do actually want to sit through all these credits because you've got every person in this role contributed a lot of time, a lot of effort, a lot of work, and sometimes a lot of blood, sweat, and tears to make this happen. So once you start to shift your mindset and you're thinking like, okay, like I do want to like, you know, honor and, and, uh, and you know, just uh, give respect to the people who, who made this movie, uh, then it's kind of like a nice bonus treat that at the end it you is. get a little reward for doing that. Here's a cool, you know, scene, right? And so, yeah, the Marvel movie certainly helps with that. And I think from a from a filmmaking standpoint, it's smart because it, it gets people to stick around and watch the credits mm -hmm. and, and, you know, give their respect to the people working on the movie. It also gives the... Uh, it gives that just a kind of extra jolt of excitement for what could be coming and gets them talking about the movie you know, in a more active way after it's done. So I think it's super, super clever. Whoever whoever thought of that, hopefully got a raise. Now, are you excited at the prospect of uh, a follow-up movie to Raccoon City? Oh yeah, I hope they, uh, man, I hope they get to do it. I, uh, yeah, I don't want to give too much away. I don't know how I would come back for it, but uh, mm -hmm. who knows? There's always a way. There's These always a way, you never away. know. But yeah, I hope they do. Uh, let's talk a little bit about Polar. You've mentioned it throughout this interview. You know, it stars Mads Mikkelsen, another amazing actor. I mean, those people who have watched Silence of the Lambs and seen Anthony Hopkins as Hannibal Lecter, you're like, there's nobody else who can play Hannibal Lecter. <laughs> and here steps in Mads uh, as Hannibal on TV, and he just knocks it out of the park. What was your experience working with Mads as an actor? Uh, Mads is a just, he's so down to earth and he's so chill, which I think was a bit of a surprise to me. He's just, you know, which at the end of the day, a lot of these, you know, incredible actors are, they're just like super, super down to earth. And so he was, uh, the first time we ever met, we were both watching, There's they set up this old TV in one of the sets and then they had the, the Olympics or something. I think we were shooting it around the time. We I can't remember, but it was around. Uh, yeah, it was, it was some skiing competition. We were just watching skiing, and he's just you know there in arms, like you know, away from the scene he's about to go into and like you know murder a bunch of people. He's just we're just watching skiing. He's we're talking about the you know the team. So he's he's so down to earth. But I always say there's a there's a scene in the movie that if people see it, it's a, near the end where uh, him and, and Catherine Winnegar across this giant uh, warehouse style set and they're so far away from each other and it's that beautiful movie magic moment that i love to talk about where it's just 
you know, in real life, these people have to be shouting to be heard over each other. Like it's it's like you know, 500 feet away uh -huh. from each other, very very far. No, 500 feet. I'm I'm not American. I shouldn't say. <laughs> I don't actually know how far that is, but it's a far away a distance, and they should be yelling, but they are whispering to each other. They're whispering the, and they're having a conversation. And in real life, you're like, what the like? They can't even hear each other. Like what's going on? And then you watch it back, and you've got these two incredible actors. Mance is just like, you know, he's doing a cigarette thing and he's barely above a whisper. And somehow in the context of the movie, it works. Like it's just because it's so stylized. It's so everything's so well done. And it's uh, yeah. So th those moments you're like, oh, man, I'm working with a real a real pro here. Someone who is just uh, an absolute icon. And so, yeah, he's he's fantastic. It's so, so nice, too. Now, in all the projects that you have done, uh is there a particular genre? Is it horror? I mean, do you particularly enjoy doing horror over other genres? I mean, it's That's totally your personal preference. I should say yes, because I'm on a horror podcast and all my friends make horror movies. I should say yes. The only reason why I wouldn't say horror is because literally just the amount of blood that I usually get covered in, which is all, you know... Um, corn syrup dried corn syrup and so it's, it's hard <laughs> it to get off hair. i barely have any hair left but the hair i do have left gets <laughs> sticky with uh, with corn syrup and so that stuff i'm like oh i could do i'd love the genre i could do without being doused in blood i did a movie called uh, faking a murderer where i just ended the whole movie just head to toe in blood and polar all the time so it's certainly uh if it wasn't for that i'd say horror but i don't know i think um, I love comedy, honestly. That's it's hard to be. I find it hard sometimes. I get anxious uh, trying to be funny, uh, or used to when I started doing comedy. But now, I've kind of since I've gotten old, I, I am a little less anxious. So that's kind of fun. I get I love comedy. But yeah, I did a, mo a movie called Moonfall as well in uh, this year, which was action, a big kind of disaster action movie, and that was that was really fun too. So yeah. I'm giving a horrible answer by saying basically I'll do anything if someone pays me a, you know, a hot dog bun optional, but I'm very, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm down for anything. That's for sure. But I, I do love, I do love working with passionate people and I find a lot of passionate people in the horror genre for sure. Oh yeah. It has the most devoted, you know, fans in the world. Uh, yeah. if nothing else, you got to say the fans are loyal and devoted. Oh, yeah. Um, if you were to pick one project that people most recognize you, let's say when you're walking down the street, what would it be? Um, it's it's happened. It's only happened a few times. Thankfully, I'm very not famous, so it doesn't <laughs> it doesn't happen too much. But I uh, I'd say probably a mix of. I mean, I honestly, the great thing I shouldn't say great thing, but like I'm in a mask pretty much every time I'm like out and about now, or out at a grocery store or whatever. So it's uh, if people don't really recognize me or they haven't from Resident Evil yet. It's only been open a few days, but uh, yeah, I've been recognized for for both Anything for Jackson and for Polar. Um, and both have, are always such a crazy surprise when, if I'm in like the pharmacy and, and someone's like, hey, like, I love doing Anything for Jackson. And that time I actually had a mask on too and they still recognize wow. me. Wow. It was incredible. And I was so on, I was so like thrilled by that and, and just not for me, but just the people were watching Anything for Jackson and that they got to see this movie because I was so proud of it. Um, so yeah, I'd say probably a tie between Polar and Polar and Anything for Jacks. First time I ever got recognized for Polar, I was so shocked. It was in LA actually, and I asked the guy who recognized me for a picture because I was like, "This doesn't happen very often. Do you want to take a picture?" He was like, "What the hell?" Okay, he was very, he was very kind. 
but uh, I, it was a bit of a unique move, I think. Now, anything for Jackson, uh, I don't even know the answer to this. Did it go straight to video on demand, or did it have a theatrical release? Um, so we did, <clears throat> it did a festival circuit, the festivals uh, at COVID at the time. But yeah, we, we, it got into so many festivals across the world, which is amazing. And then it went to, they had a pre-sale done with Super Channel in Canada, which is a, a TV on demand service. So before the movie came out, that was where it was going to go in Canada. But they did do, they did some uh, Fantasia, they did a bunch of amazing uh, festivals. And then uh, Shudder picked up the rights. So Shudder now is on it. Uh, that's how you can watch it in the States, I think. But then uh, in certain territories across the pond, I think in Russia and some territories there, it was in theaters. So that was a real thrill okay, for, for cool. You cool. Know, um, Justin and Keith were like, oh man, we should take a trip to Russia. And I was like, well, it's a long flight to see a movie. <laughs> to see a you, movie. Yeah, you know, you've seen 80 times in your own house. But uh, it was super cool to have, uh, yeah, have it in the big screen. Josh, I want to thank you so much. Again, guys, uh, Resident Evil, Welcome to Raccoon City is available in theaters uh, across the nation. Is it a worldwide release? Sure is. I feel like it's open. I think it's opening in the UK and stuff uh, early December. Early December. Otherwise, it's otherwise all over the place. Yeah. Check it out. It does lean more into the horror than some of the prior Resident Evil movies. Josh was amazing it in it. Also, I'm going to say it again. Watch anything for Jackson. It's available on AMC Plus, uh, which is the company that owns Shutter anyway. So it's the same thing. Watch amazing. it. It's an amazing movie. Uh, I mean, there's no other word to describe it. It really is a fantastic film. Josh, thank you so much for being our guest. Any, any uh, final thoughts you want to share before we go? Just thank you, thank you so much, uh, and I'm going to pass along all those kind words to Justin and Keith too. They'll please be do here. Um, yeah, uh, thank you so much. I have a I, my the thing that's scaring me the most besides uh, Resident Evil lately is I've got a an album that just released uh, two weeks ago. Tell us which about is, it. Speaking of terror, was very <laughs> terrifying for me to put out, and so that's been that's been on my mind too. It's been a crazy, crazy time, and I'm so grateful for all of it. And uh, what's yeah, the, what's the name of the album? It's called Variety Show, and it's very uh, true to its name. Lots of different kind of genre hopping, but I yeah, just wanted to make some awesome. catchy songs, and so yeah. That's so is it available like on iTunes, Spotify? Yes. Yeah, all anywhere you find music on the interwebs, it'll be there. Check it'll, it out. Check there. it out, guys. Thank you so much. Uh, thank you again. Thank to... you so much for having me. It's oh, been it's so been my pleasure. Chat. It's been an absolute blast. Thank you so much for coming on here. And sharing the Thank stories uh, about Resident Evil, anything for Jackson, Polar. Uh, you've had a great career and you have plenty of great stuff to bring us on the screen yet to come. So thank you so much. Thank you to our audience tonight. Stay safe on behalf of Josh and myself. Good night. Stay safe and stay walking. Bye, everybody.